0: The whole idea here is that even if we give people the right information, they might go from knowing something to having an intention to do something, but that's still not enough. No. <laughs> <So> oh no. <laughs> if people have the best intentions, doesn't really change the world. What changed the world is what people do.
1: You're listening to the Behavior Change Marketing Bootcamp podcast. I'm your host Ruth Dale and together we'll explore how behavioural science and social marketing and design thinking can be used to communicate, change and influence behaviour. Every week we chat with the experts, that's the practitioners, the academics and the book writers and we share three aha moments to help you increase your impact and set your comms and marketing on fire. Hello. In the studio today, we have Samuel Saltzer. Samuel is a leading behavioral strategist and behavioral design expert. He's one of the world's first chief behavioral officers, and he specializes in applying insights from behavioral science to build user-centered and habit-forming products and services, aka he is the king of habits. He is at the forefront of the emerging field of behavioral design, and Samuel is a frequent keynote speaker and has co-authored Nudging in Practice, Helping organizations make it easy to do the right thing. He's also founder of Habit Weekly, and that is where I found him, the largest community for behavioral designers. And there's a few marketers like me hidden in there and habit coach professionals. So, sorry, and habit coach professionals. And this is what I really love how Samuel's actually applied the behavioral science. It's called Habit Coach Professionals, and it's the first certification dedicated to helping health and fitness coaches level up their coaching businesses using tools and insights from behavioral science. So he doesn't just write about it. He doesn't just talk about it. He doesn't just create one of the world's best behavioral science newsletters every week. He's actually applied it to help people improve their health. So we are so delighted to have you here. Welcome, Samuel.
0: Thank you so much, Ruth. It's uh, really great to be here.
1: And so we invited Samuel on because we really wanted to focus in on his knowledge base, just really empty his brain out and learn everything he knows about habits in about 20 minutes. So not such a big thing, Samuel, but also our listeners tend to be marketers and communicators or change program managers. So behavioral science is newish to everyone and we're kind of using it, but won't necessarily know you and they should so please, can you share one thing about yourself that you think no one will know
0: about you? I don't know if no one knows this about me, and this has nothing to do with behavioral science or habits, but uh, I've been taking classes in improv comedy. So uh, that is a, a somewhat unknown fact. Yeah.
1: Wow! Oh my gosh! I was not expecting you to say that. That's amazing.
0: When did you start? Yeah. It's honestly uh, well for me. I, I think I started. Partly because I was thinking about AI and, and thinking, what are skills that AI would be you know, struggling to, to build? And then also because I've been exposed to it here and there before. But I started last year and it's been really, really fun because I think, I think for me, and I, I'm sure a lot of people can relate, it's very easy to get trapped in overthinking in moments when you don't really need to and where you probably shouldn't as well. And what you're really teaching and, and practicing with improv comedy is to, to stay in the moment. And instead of, you know, waiting for the smart thing to say, or thinking about the next thing you're going to ask, you're just being forced to listen and improvise based on what the kind of scene partner or other people in the kind of scene is, is doing or saying. And so you really have to just be embracing the chaos of life, which I think is is something we should probably practice more because it's like, we can try to pretend that day to day is just not a mess. But in the end, most lives, most days are kind of a mess and we just have to kind of do our best to to, to ride the mess out and, and manage it.
1: Oh my gosh, I love that. So embracing the chaos of life. That is beautiful phrase to, there. Through some I fun love it. as well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and having fun, but also spreading happiness, isn't it? You know, spreading a bit of humor, joy and humor for everyone. So will you be on stage soon? Will you be sharing any of your improvs?
0: Don't think so, and it's a really important distinction is that I'm not a stand up comic by any by okay. any means so <laughs> the the definition here is that you're kind of doing something improvised as kind of like a a fun almost theater scene in some ways, and I think a really good lesson that is taught is that one you probably have heard from other domains as well is that you say yes and to anything that comes up so instead of when someone says something, you say no. That's stupid. You say yes, and, and so you build on ideas that are kind of shared in the in the process. And oh, the second thing lovely. is that you kind of you don't try to be funny. Your goal is just to have fun and talk about interesting things. And then the idea is that if you chase funny, you will run away. But if you have fun and if you do interesting things, kind of funny will join you, and and funny will be part of it. So
1: yeah. Oh, I love it. I love that. So. Yes. And is instead of no, say the words, yes. And okay. I love that. Yeah. Yes and, and it's a good rule don't... from
0: design thinking as well. And, and and you probably have heard that. I think a lot of marketers probably have heard this maybe in some cases where if you generate ideas and building on ideas, it's really great when you're opening up ideas to just be crazy and, and think big and think weird and think different. And then you can always obviously like in a double diamond type of way, you can close it and kind of make ideas more practical. But at some point it's just fun to just keep it open and, and you say yes and and build on ideas and make them stranger and bigger and and you know. Yeah. I think that's where a lot of innovation obviously happens. So so yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it. And don't chase funny because it will run from you. I know. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. So oh, well, the world yeah. knows that now, Samuel, because the world is listening to this podcast. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. out. Um, I've heard,
0: yes. Yes.
1: <laughs> oh, but thank you for sharing that. So as we mentioned in your intro, you are the king of habits. There's nothing that you don't know about habits. Well, I'm sure there's uh, there's science yet to be done, but you know, you are the expert and the go-to. So what can you share with us, please, about habits? Say we're at the beginning, we need to understand exactly what habits are through a behavioral science lens. Do we all have them all of the time? Do we have good habits? Do we have bad habits? How would you advise someone to start thinking about the role of habits in behavioral science?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I would say the interesting thing is that it's something we obviously have heard about habits, but I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what actually habits are and how they exist in our day-to-day lives. So maybe to start, let's go with the definition. So habits are a type of behavior or in a way we could do a behavior that has some unique components to it. So, one thing is that it's very connected to a specific context. And so, it's behavior we do at a certain time, place, or after having done something else. So, it's, it's context dependent in a, in a very stable way. That the good example is that if you sit down in your car, you put on a seatbelt. But if you sit down in your dinner chair, you probably don't reach for the seatbelt <laughs> because it's a different context. So, you're, you're not going to reach for a seatbelt before eating dinner. The <laughs> no. second component that's important. <laughs> is uh, automaticity. So the idea that habits are automatic in a different way than, or called like, a normal behavior. And so, what we mean by that is that we do it without much conscious thought. in In some way, autopilot. And so, that exists in somewhat of a spectrum. So it's not just a binary thing of either being fully automatic or fully deliberate or conscious. But oh, okay. Habits exist on the more automatic side of the spectrum. So it's something we generally do without much conscious thought is what considered to be a habit. And maybe a third thing that I think is quite interesting is uh, the idea of rewards. Because when a habit is formed, it actually is not as dependent on reward as other behaviors. So what we mean by that is you will do the habit even if you don't expect to receive a reward from doing it. And the best oh. example <laughs> is my one of my favorite experiments ever done is they did something terrible, which was to take popcorn and then leave it for one week to be- oh. make it like really stale. Yeah. And then yeah. they had a bunch of people. Yeah, terrible. A bunch of people coming in for a, for a movie screening. And depending on the level of habits of eating popcorn in cinema, what happened was that all of these people were given this stale popcorn. And if they had a habit of eating popcorn in cinema, they would eat them anyway. So even if they were stale and terrible, they had a habit of eating them. So they didn't even think about the quality of the popcorn. They didn't even think about if it tasted that good. And they so there's a lot of people that do a lot of habits, both, yeah, both good habits and bad habits. Once the habit is formed, it's not always that we do it because we're looking for a reward or something like this. So it's, it's a good distinction to understand is that What forms a habit and what is a habit might have some differences. And we can probably dive into the forming part a little bit later or after this. But I think what I would say is really important to understand is that we all have habits. We all have a lot of them. (laughs) It's hard to say exactly because the hard thing with measuring and and researching habits is like, how do you research something that people are not aware of doing?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. It's hard.
0: It's really hard. I won't nerd into all of the research methods used for this. There's different okay. types of, of methods. But when we do it, we can only oftentimes approximate it through different things. And so it's hard to put an exact number of of your behavior on a given day. This exactly is the degree which are habitual. But the rule of thumb is usually around 50%. I think there's some numbers like 43%, some numbers that are up to more like 70, 80%. But doesn't really matter as much as just understanding that a lot of our behaviors are habitual or quite automatic in nature. So that's why we talk about this idea that we have sometimes a little more of a, a habit self that acts on autopilot and then more of a deliberate self that acts more consciously. And yeah, I think that's a good start. Okay. Good habits, bad habits. For sure, we have them as well. <laughs> but, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy to leave it back to you and see if, if that makes sense and if that sets us up for a good foundation.
1: It really does. I did not realize that the reward component wasn't part as much part of habit building. I thought that was kind of the key thing. I thought if I rewarded myself in order to try and change a habit, I would be more successful. So when we're forming our well, habit, I think
0: Oh, go on. Go on. Sorry. Sorry for interrupting you.
1: No, no, I was just please. Gonna say,
0: that's really really useful thought there because so that's maybe the thing we can start with going into a little bit because it's true that once the habit is formed, yeah. it's not as much dependent on reward anymore. But as we're forming it, as we're building it, reward plays a role. So it's a little bit of distinction there where in the same way as like before a habit is formed, obviously when we're trying to do behavior, there will be a very much of a cognitive thinking component to doing it. We're, we're going to think in some ways, but as we repeat the behavior more and more, that component of thinking is going to become less and less and less and less. So it's also somewhat deceptive if you see this habit loop that you have cue routine reward. Actually, Uh that is not really true on either level because it's it misses when we're forming the habit. We're going to think it's not going to be automatic. (laughs) So it's not just cue behavior; it's cue thinking, deliberating behavior, potentially rewarding or or punishing. So it's a little more complicated than most most things you may be. See, but it's also quite easy once you start to understand some of the main components.
1: And so is it a bit like, because we talk about system one and system two a lot, is it when people are shifting it from system two into shift, it's becoming part of our subconscious. Would that be sitting in our
0: system one? Okay. You could say that. That's that's a S- system you know, the, all of these are like metaphors for yeah, the brain. Yeah. But
1: oh I, yeah, they're very popular. It's, it's a useful metaphor. <laughs> oh yeah, we love a metaphor or yeah. two. System one, system two is very popular, especially in market research. And we did a lot of work on sedentary habits. You know, how long people sit for through the day. And it was incredible because we came up against exactly what you're saying. How can we ask people about behaviors that they're not aware of? you know and the recall questions if you just just did sort of quite blunt open questions to people they wouldn't actually reflect their behavior at all because they weren't aware of how long they were sitting so it does ring a bell a lot of what you're saying and i think is a question for anyone really working on a change program well how do i actually help shift behaviors everything we try and do is a behavior we can have people who have been doing the same behaviors at the same desk for 20 years and we're asking them to suddenly swap out they may not be aware so how on earth can we be aware so i guess that was the next question for you is like how do we influence mm-hmm. them how can we understand how can we get our audience to know what they're doing and should we be influencing them can we get people more aware
0: yeah no i think it's a great question and just to share my journey a bit I actually started more in the nudging behavioral economics side and I had kind of this two-step process of behavioral economics and nudging where initially the process was like amazement. I was like, this is so interesting. This is so cool. I see the world with so much more nuance and, you know, nudging is an exciting thing. Then I had a little bit of a process of disillusionment because I noticed that a nudge is great for a one-time behavior, but it might not be good to get the behavior to be repeated. And so I was then kind of what really got me to where I am today is just trying to answer that question. How do we get a behavior to not only happen one time, but be repeated to become a habit eventually? And so, yeah, it's a great question to understand, you know, sometimes it's great to nudge, maybe sometimes, usually when it comes to one day behavior. But if we're looking to change behavior that needs to be repeated, maybe once, maybe twice, maybe hundreds of times forever, <laughs> Like, how do we engage with that yeah. kind of challenge? Because that's the harder behavior change challenge. So when we look at habits, it's useful then to break it down in in some steps there. So the first part is to understand that when we're trying to form a habit, the initial part has to do with this contextual component. Uh, so stable cue in a context component. Okay. And what we mean there is that we have to really understand what can be sometimes called like implementation intention. Where sometimes we call it like behavioral statements. Where we're trying to just define what is the behavior. Yeah. But also when is the behavior happening? Where is the behavior happening? And maybe also like after what is the behavior happening. Okay. And so that is really important because then we're starting to connect the behavior to context. So if we're trying to I don't know, do you have an example we can maybe use through this exercise? Do you have any (sighs) example we can play around with?
1: Yeah, there's so many. We could do, I mean, I don't know. I'm thinking of the workplace sedentary one now. We could do the, the biscuit with a cup of tea. Very English habit that if you could only <laughs> break that habit, it would make such an impact. <laughs> so, yeah, the biscuit with a cup of yeah. tea. Does that one work? <laughs> so, so maybe we can,
0: we, can do, uh, we can do two parallel ones in some ways. We can go a little bit back and forth. We can think about one habit to break. Let's say that is the cup of tea with biscuits. And then we can maybe have one habit to build. And, and so maybe the habit to build is reading, for example. Like a okay. reading habit is a kind of a common thing that most people want to do more. And maybe or, yeah, we can do that or we can do... Yeah.
1: Or the water cooler. We could, get, could we get them to be swapping out the tea and biscuit for walking to the water cooler to get water instead?
0: Because that's okay, what we're, we were now we building into engineer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, now okay. let's do, re- do reading. Okay.
1: Oh, I don't know which one would work best. You think to make it um, easy for yeah, everyone. Yeah. So we
0: can we can definitely do this. So so then it has these two components. So then I would think about the main thing here is obviously that the behavior, the side behavior is drinking water at the water cooler, right? Yes. But then we want to try and understand when. Do you have any type of when? And then probably the tea and biscuits comes into play because when do people usually get their tea and biscuits?
1: Oh my gosh. Well, this is a big thing in the office, isn't it? Normally you're waiting for someone to volunteer because you've done it for the last 10 weeks and no one's done it. It's definitely not your turn. So then you give up waiting. So it could be between 10 and 11 a.m., this will resonate with all midlife office people. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> this is a cultural norm. Sure,
0: so sure. Ten I- well, and we have similar stuff at, in Sweden at three,
1: too. At three as well. Okay. Get one in before yeah. you go to the commute home.
0: In Swedish, we call it fika, but uh, we have the same fika. around 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. cadence. Okay, so then we're starting to build our idea of, okay, the behavior is to drink water at the water cooler. Yeah, It's happening around, let's say, 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. It's in the office in this case. So we have a where, right? Yeah. And then what happens before is probably I would assume people are at their desk, right? Yeah. So now we're starting to build the context. And so the context now is moving from the desk to the water cooler. And so we're, we're trying to make that as habitual as possible, right? So that's a good start. Even if you wanted to change your habit by yourself, if you wanted to going back to reading example, if you want to read, you know thinking about when do I want to read, where do I want to read, and making really explicit idea there because the good example is if you do lingo, I would say duolingo probably like loses millions of users because they fail to do this. What they kind of do is they they don't really coach people in a I think effective way. I know it by personal experience <laughs> on like really building your language-studying habit in a certain context. So usually you get pinged and you may be asked how often you want to do it and for how long, yes. but you don't really get coached around exactly when and where you want to study your language. And so for me, I repeated language learning with Duolingo for 200 days, but it was not a habit. Why? Because sometimes I did it in the morning, sometimes in the evening, sometimes at the lunch. And so I find myself I... missing a lot of days. I find myself you know, struggling to really make it automatic. And it's because I never taught my brain not to think because I never kind of like explicitly made it clear that, okay, I'm going to study Duolingo at lunchtime at 12 PM at my lunch table, for example.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Then after a while, my brain will figure out that, okay, I don't even have to think. I can just open the app and start studying. I don't need to ask, quote unquote, conscious brain here, like, what should I do? And so that's really important. We really have to become explicit in early stage. Then okay. it really helps to add a reminder. <laughs> so, here we probably have some form of like some cue in some ways, because we want to like disrupt the in- internal cue of wanting to have tea and yeah. we're trying to get, get the skewing towards the water cooler. And so, if there's something we can do that can like visually or in some ways remind that like it's good to hydrate and water is a good way to do it. Maybe something there can be done in a fun, easy way. Yeah,
1: yeah. Probably yeah. something to
0: think about. But cue is important. Yeah. Okay. So once we have kind of understand, like, okay, what is the behavior? How do we kind of cue the behavior to happen? The main thing we have to work with is two things. We can either make the behavior easier to do, yeah. or make it more rewarding to do. So, oh, okay. or both. But that's kind of the main two levers we have. We can either make a boost in ability or a boost in motivation, and so. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. I'm just thinking, oh my gosh. Okay, boost in ability. Oh no. Yeah, in someone's ability to do it or in their motivation. But also, would you maybe make it harder for the other behavior, the one you don't want, the bad habit you're trying to break or
0: like unplug the kettle? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I would actually like group that in a little bit in the ability component because part of ability is, I would say a couple of things, but one is just making... The behavior itself, easy. In this case, I would say the behavior of filling up water is quite easy. So you probably don't need to really coach people. It's usually a case where like when it comes to reading, maybe you know people try to read for 60 minutes, but maybe they can just start with reading for 10 minutes or five minutes. So you can shrink oh, the behavior. Okay. Yeah. But here, the behavior is probably quite small because water is easy to... To, to get, what probably then another component that you can modulate is the environment. So here, there's two parts to that. Either we can spend time on making the environment as friendly as possible for the desired behavior, yeah, or we can make it so that we remove anything in the environment that could be distracting or disrupting the desired behavior. And I think it's in that category where we come into what you said, where. We can do first one thing, we can move the water cooler as close as possible to people's desk or whatever they want to get water from or, or, yeah. or drink. And then we can move, <laughs> I'm thinking about like moving the tea and kettle like to the <laughs> rooftop or something or like yeah. really or far just away. have
1: it full of scale and sc- oh, skanky. Well, no one cleans those areas anyway, do they? So um, they're not very attractive normally.
0: Yeah, but Google actually did this. And so what Google did Ooh. was... They did a fascinating thing on a double experiment where in the offices, they wanted people to drink water instead of soda, and they mm-hmm. wanted to when they had their coffee, not to have a snack, not to have the biscuits, yeah, and so the two changes they made was for the water they put in the fridge, all of the fridge was filled with water where the fridge was visible, and then underneath there was an invisible compartment, yeah where yeah, they draw. put all of the soda
1: okay. Nice.
0: And so you didn't see the soda, but it was there underneath. And you saw the water. And so the water was the easiest to reach and most visible. Yeah. And then <laughs> they separated the station where it was before coffee and biscuits to have a coffee station one place, and then about a couple of you know parts away, like far away in the same room in the corner was the biscuits. So you have to like first get the coffee and then to oh. walk away to get the biscuits if you wanted them. Yeah. And that actually, drastically, it improved the. Water consumption by five times as much. So people drank five times as much water compared to soda. Wow. And then I think reduced biscuits consumption by by 30%. So just making that separation was a big deal.
1: Yeah. Gosh, um, some people yeah. were still determined <laughs> they were going to get their biscuit. But it's does... always going to get their biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> but it does show, I think, that we're always nudging just whether we know it or not. It's just whether you're conscious of it. When you put the biscuits next to the tea bags, you are you know, you're giving that little bit of a nudge. you ha- It's not called a nudge intervention. It's not anything. It's just the social norm. But actually, it is a nudge because if you move them away, people say, oh, you're nudging me. And you're thinking it's like nudging. It's always there, isn't it? It's just whether you're aware of, you know, the impact of it.
0: Yeah. And I think as a behavioral science lesson, I think that could potentially be, be yeah, the, maybe one of the top, top, most important insights from behavioral science, which is that, what you described very beautifully was that there's no neutral choice environment. So we're always being influenced by our environment. And the only thing we have is to make those environments more supportive of our goals, right? So it's, it's this classic idea that the basic concept is that what we design us in turn. So when we build a building, suddenly we live in that building and the building designs our behavior. We design a phone and then suddenly... The phone, the sign, and it makes us swipe and makes us click. So it's really important to understand that, what you said, because there's no neutral choice environment. There's always something influencing. And the only thing we can do is hopefully better understanding what is the kind of the goals of people and how can we support those goals through the environments that we shape. Yeah, But yeah, I think that's, that's a pretty good scene for the ability part, but maybe... Should we cover a little bit of the motivation? Yes, please.
1: I think because motivation gets skipped, I think. I think it's seen as something that's finite. It just tick the box. So yes, please delve deep into motivation.
0: Yeah. So when it comes to thinking about a behavior and turning it into a habit, the big, I think, misconception here again is that it's something that happens after the behavior. So it's something like, you read the book and then someone gives you a high five or a biscuit. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to the biscuit example. But the most powerful thing is oftentimes too, if you can shape the behavior itself to make it more enjoyable. So you see this, you know, if you, if you look at places like where people drink the most water in the office, like the fancy offices where they have water, what, what is different than that water?
1: Fizzy. Sometimes it's fizzy. They're nice glass bottles. Sometimes
0: fizzy, sometimes has some like weird like cucumber or some lime or some form of flavor to it. And so they made the behavior of drinking water more enjoyable. Because suddenly it's it's maybe cold and refreshing, but also tastes nice.
1: Yeah. And so
0: if we can modulate so that doing the behavior is enjoyable, that's your biggest win. Because you can always try to add some form of extrinsic rewards like you can have people every time they drink water you can have a bell go off and say oh you've almost won a lottery ticket <laughs> and so on like you can obviously add extrinsic rewards to anything
1: yeah people do reward you cards you a stamp don't they? you can get a stamp yeah
0: but the best thing you can do the best thing you can do is make the behavior itself intrinsically enjoyable and we see that with exercise we see that everything that people are building habits around eventually is the thing they enjoy doing we can kind of really get people to get excited to do something for a short term with doing something they don't enjoy. But once whatever target is reached or, or deadline or whatever thing they were kind of yeah. extrinsically trying to get towards, they fall back into what is feeling good. So we should always try to do that, make that the case. If we don't have that possibility, obviously we can still involve other influences to make it more motivating. And then we can think about it from the perspective of, you know, the obvious thing as a lever is social. And I think everyone in this social proof audience yes. knows that. Oh, yeah. We love Anything social, social is very motivating. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not only social proof, it's also social competition, social comparison, social okay. cooperation, social yeah. role modeling, social accountability, social. Yeah, you name it. There's still a lot of social things you can do. Okay. And, and so the basic gist is that people also will be very unlikely to do something that doesn't increase their social belonging or status. Oh. So if you can make the behavior leading them to get a stronger sense of social belonging or status or both, they're probably going to do. So if oh, you can okay. somehow frame it around that it's really cool to drink water and that somehow makes you. Part of some something better here it might potentially unethical or ethical I'm not sure if we should create like in group dynamics and out-group dynamics in the office and the like, cool cats uh, <laughs> uh, look down on people drinking tea and biscuit, but obviously, if you can provide some form of positive in group message around people drinking water and why drinking water can connect people in a way where they can get a sense of belonging or status, yeah, they will probably drink more water in the office.
1: But I've, that is what people do with awards though, isn't it? And, you know, you, you can often do schemes where you're growing up going up ladders and you're in teams and not so much with drinking water, but definitely sport. The social competitive side is huge. Or Nearly every charity over here definitely has some sort of social... 5k run challenge and there's always a big thing where you'll get together and we'll have workplace challenges and then you'll have home ones where everyone will train together and get fit together do the challenge together post the you know the medals on Instagram together and then the next week all the training habits have gone until the next right. sports challenge so it definitely is a motivator like you say I can see that and I guess it's just how far those habits will stick. To, I mean, I suppose actually lots of people do carry on with their exercise. I'm speaking a bit personally there. We thought, <laughs> you know, the stop, yeah, start, stop, start
0: with this. Yeah, I would say, side. like, when it comes to certain, like, walking things, I, I've seen trends that if you do a walking thing as part of your office, you, you usually end up walking more afterwards as well because you've discovered new routes to walk to work or you've discovered yeah. ways of, of doing things. What I would say is maybe accompanying to the idea of, of bringing some form of element that you describe is the idea of maybe both autonomy and commitment. So what I mean by that is that oh, okay, oftentimes the problem when we're trying to motivate people is that idea is that we're trying to motivate people. And the best lesson you can get from a expert on motivation is this basic idea that the goal is not to motivate people, but creating a situation in which people motivate themselves. And so what do we mean by that? Mm-hmm. Well, we mean that, We're trying to make it so that when it comes to drinking water, that first of all, it's something that people have expressed some interest in doing, and they feel some autonomy around wanting to do so or being part of doing so. And so it's something where they not maybe are told to drink water, (laughs) because that's not very fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no. They're providing
0: a context where water seems like a very appealing thing to be part of doing. Maybe give access to a free water bottle. That's really fancy, or some form of thing where it's it's something they kind of like buy into doing, and kind of have a freedom to be kind of buying into and being part of. And then once they are part of that, then again, that the behavior itself is rewarding. So that they're part of that because they chose to be part of it, and then doing so is in some way makes their life easier, better more enjoyable, like they get hydrated, they get tasty yeah. uh, mango-flavoured water, <laughs> you know, oh, whatever it is, right? <laughs> a
1: bit more energised, um, you can do your
0: work energized, yeah. and easier. Okay. Yeah, and if you feel part of like, they feel maybe a sense of identity that's been lifted to become more healthier as well, they feel like their identity suddenly, they're not that old person who, version of themselves that ate biscuits all day every day, but yeah. they're their new version of themselves that's like more committed to their health and, and kind of yeah. This can lead that that way. And so so trying to get some form of autonomy in play where people like feel like they have a buy-in involved. And then that buy-in can be a great sense of commitment to to this thing. So having a small commitment initially, like, hey, do you wanna be part of this, you know, thing? You get a free water bottle and so on, that's probably much more effective than you should really do this. Everyone expects you to, uh, if you're this point, if you oh, don't. No. Uh, yeah, um, absolutely. Really
1: Everything you're saying is brilliant. I'm thinking I was, why I really, our show notes are going to be incredible, Samuel, because <laughs> I'm going to be putting those all of okay, this in the show notes it. for everyone.
0: <laughs> Great. Yeah. So I'll add one more thing that's really valuable, which is motivational interviewing, which is that you're trying to get to this point of trying to understand what is motivating someone. In a way where you're listening to them. So, this can be done verbally, but also through some form of web means and interaction. And a common question would be, for example, like, why is staying hydrated important for you? Okay. I'm not trying to ask, like, do you want to drink water? Drink water today. I'm just trying to ask, like, why is being hydrated important for you?
1: And yeah. And then you start
0: thinking about it, like, well, You know, I get more energized. It's probably good for my health. It feels good. I I like the feeling of being hydrated. And so through some of those kind of question styles and listening to what people respond, you can oftentimes then craft an intervention or create an intervention that supports them and where they feel also like they've got a solution that suits them and what they want to do. And, And if nothing else, you're instead of starting with, here's something amazing that you should try, you're starting with what is important for you. Yes. And yeah. you're trying to understand like in what way would drinking water on a daily basis improve your life? And so it's kind of like turning the tables and making more about the person that you're trying to help than trying to sell them on some like, you know, Absolutely. random benefit.
1: So is it purposefully not is being dehydrated important to you? Is that in all interviewing, are you looking for mm-hmm. the person's why? So you're making that assumption that it is in the first place, or you're kind of asking them to think, oh, I didn't know it was actually, I suppose it is type thing. Because, you know, often I th- find a lot of our work programmes, these are things people don't think about that often. They're busy going about day to day. And then there's these little habits we're always saying, you know, public health's always having ideas about what people should do and shouldn't do.
0: Yeah, but I, I would say like th- th- this is one of the easiest thing you can do if you wanted to do some form of public health type of intervention where it's. Instead of going straight to the information on sitting is bad, you know, instead of being that kind of like finger wagging lecturing uh, oh, yeah. campaign, of sort. instead start by maybe sending a questionnaire or question that asks like, how important is daily movement for you? Or like, how does sitting affect your your mood or your productivity? I don't know what the perfect question here would be, Stop but it's teasing. trying to better get people to start thinking yeah. about this themselves. And if this is a problem for them, hopefully they actually come to that realization themselves instead of you trying to force that realization force on them. It. Yeah, And as we know, that's oftentimes much, much more effective. And if you want to change someone's mind, pretty much the same principles apply. So if you look in that research and so on, pretty much all of it comes down to motivational interviewing or what's called canvassing or other types of techniques where you're pretty much asking questions and then listening and then trying to probe and kind of frame in ways you're trying to get to to somewhere. But you're not trying to use lists, like here are the 10 best reasons why you should do it.
1: Yeah. Oh gosh, no. I mean, oh, a couple of things in there. Canvassing is new. I'm going to look that up. Thank you. Because asking questions is something that we look at all the time, obviously for market research. So one, we are very. But is it done as part of the
0: intervention, or is it done as part of the user research?
1: The scoping, the scoping, yeah. So for the sedentary one, we did um, a calculator. We put everyone in pairs, and we asked them to tell the other person how long they sat for, and to talk through their day, and the other person added it up. So they said from breakfast to the commute to at the desk, and we did it with Active Devon, and it was part of a Sport England project, and it was just brilliant because everyone's faces went, oh, 12, 13 hours. And we established that during the winter months here, people would leave their house and get in their car and go into their office, come back, come home, watch whatever's out on Netflix or amazing programme and sometimes not even see daylight, but be sitting the whole time and then be exhausted at the end because there's no actual movement throughout the day. So what we did was we asked them to count each other's hours and that way we weren't, like you say, coming in as, you know, sort of finger wagging, which so that was a great fun project, but we are very, very guilty of that in communications and marketing. We can get really, really stuck on the problem and we don't even talk about the habits or what we want people to do instead. Everything gets gets stuck on almost like telling people off mode. And I think that's why everything you've just said and the whole field of behavioral design is so powerful for marketing because it makes you think, stop talking about what you don't want people to do and actually find out what you do want them to do and then focus in on that. But I don't think even we get that far half the time, especially if you look at the communications in workplaces, most of it is quite, you know, do this, do that, do this, do that. And don't do that. And the, everything you've just said yeah. is in, incredibly useful and also achievable by people. It feels like it's an accessible science that people can use this. Would you agree?
0: Yeah. So I think the maybe some closing thoughts in some ways here is that um, what really makes it useful is if you follow it as a process and not a quick fix. So okay. if you just throw around these techniques or strategies that I mentioned in the end, without really understanding the problem, it's probably not going to be very effective. But okay. if you kind of go through kind of the process which we have had in our conversation, where you start with trying to understand what is the behavior, what is currently kind of the barriers of the behavior and what is preventing the behavior, what is currently the driving force of people and so on. And then like once you have a really understanding of the problem, then you can come to some of these solutions and ideas and, and so on. And they can be very impactful, If you have a good understanding of the problem, but that's kind of coming full circle in a way is that understanding the context is really what limits or potentially leverages your behavior in strategies. So what I mean is that if you have really bad understanding of the context, even if you have the best behavioral science strategy, it might not work. And it doesn't mean that the strategy was a bad strategy doesn't work otherwise, but you're used in the wrong context. But if you really understand the context well then you can also better know which strategy to use. So I think that's kind of what we're trying to do with, I think, the Able Design is to really kind of combining those two things, like understanding the problem and then providing the solution. And going back to what you said as well, the whole idea here is that even if we give people the right information, they might go from knowing something to having an intention to do something, but that's still not enough.
1: No, <laughs> so oh, no. if people have
0: the best <laughs> intentions... Doesn't really change the world. What changed the world is what people do, and so that's the kind of the, the world that I'm in, right? And that's hopefully yeah. some of the takeaways here is, is that really getting into the uncomfortably specific about what we are looking to change in terms of behavior. Yeah, that's a huge component. Yeah, and and once we once we get comfortable in being this uncomfortably specific, then I think that also becomes more illuminating for. Where we really need to make the changes, like where, where should we really alter things to make it better? But yeah, yeah, this is really a fun conversation, and oh. uh, I really enjoyed exploring this this with you.
1: Yeah, no, thank you so much. So appreciate all your expertise. Incredible conversation. So much there. I'm going to unpack it all for everyone listening. Not now, don't worry. <laughs> In the blog and on the show notes, so people can follow it a bit more. And getting uncomfortably specific is key. So I love that. And I just know our listeners that are kind of like comms directors and marketing, they want that. They want this. What happens in the workplace is people will jump to the conclusion they need a campaign, but they haven't done this work that you've said. And I liked your emphasis on anchoring the behavior within the context. So they haven't done that depth of understanding And they don't understand their context yet, and the pressure of delivery just means get a comms campaign out. And but comms guys are like always asking for, well, where's you know where is all this information that's just been skipped over? So yeah, it's brilliant, and and we're getting a lot more involved now. And you know, it's absolutely wonderful. All your ideas, I think, will help a lot of people make a lot of positive differences. Just to finish on, we haven't really covered your habit Coach Professionals and you did use that. You've used all of this to design that. Could you just really quickly say, because I promised a lot of people, (laughs) how have you used that and how can people read more about that or find out more about that?
0: Yeah. So the whole idea with habit Coach Professionals was that there's a lot of people who want to support change happening in the world, whether you're a nutritionist or a coach or a personal trainer or whatever role you might have that involves supporting behavior change. But you might not always be given the right tools and processes for best accomplishing this. And so the whole idea with Habits Coach Professionals is to making it in a way fun and easy to learn how to use behavioral science in in some form of coaching domain. Yeah. And so it's this quite unique 10-week experience where... In many ways, you will actually build a habit while building a habit (laughs) or learning to build habits, I mean. (laughs) And so we have these really fun daily bite-sized lessons. We call them habits. Um, Oh, fun. So they are like 15 minutes to do. They're really interactive and and really informative. And what's really interesting is that since you do them over these like eight to 10 weeks, we get a lot of emails from people who completely course and are like, I end up sitting in front of my, you know, desk Uh or on my, you know, Uh -uh. breakfast table and I'm ready to do a lesson, but there's no lesson left for me. Yeah, they (laughs) call more. Because we we really have, yeah, we've designed the course to be in a way where you're applying all these things in your own life while you're doing the course as well. So it's a really way to kind of like putting this big thing that's behavioral science into really easily digestible and fun experience to make you better equipped to obviously have these exciting like baby change techniques but having them as part of a really effective process yeah. so we have this toolkit and some other things that really helps to hopefully make that really practical easy and yeah yeah that's uh, fantastic. So,
1: yeah, because it is really popular. There's a lot of frontline professionals and coaches, like you say, nutritionists, trainers that work with a lot of people across our health system, helping people move more or get started from scratch or just need to get healthier to have ops or what, for whatever reason. And so there's a lot of training going on to skill people up. But when I saw yours, I was just like, oh, it looks so fun. And I was yeah, I want to do that. So, I think if a course makes you feel like that, then it's, you know, obviously you're doing it right. And so we should all learn from the best. So, we'll hook up the link to that as well. So, thank you so, so much. We would like to end, please, with our final question. So, for 2023, we are being really strict, one book only. And also, it needs to have changed your life. So, if you could, Samuel, please share with us your one book that changed your life.
0: So, I would say that. There's one book that I think, even when I knew a lot about behavioral science, made me take a step back and reevaluate quite a few things. And so the book has a fantastic title. It's called Mistakes Were Made, But Not By Me. Why We Justify Foolish Beliefs, Bad Decisions, and Hurtful Acts. And it's written by two of the leading researchers in cognitive dissonance and self-justification. And it's a really fun read. It's a really interesting read. And it's really illuminating in the sense that we can all relate to it <laughs> and we can all see it around us once we read this book. So mistakes were made, but not by me.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so, so much. That sounds incredibly interesting. I shall go to hop over and have a look now. Thank you, Samuel. I really appreciate your time. I know all our listeners will have learned so much. So thank you and take care.
0: Yeah, and I was really happy to be part of this podcast. I really appreciate everything you do for the field, honestly. I think you're a wonderful uh, voice in the marketing slash behavioral design community and you do so much great work. And so, so, yeah, it was a Aww. pleasure to be here and, and talk to you. you. And I look forward to maybe coming back again at some point. We can talk more.
1: Yes. And I shall see you in Habit Pro. I always enjoy your Habit Pro sessions. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Amazing. Thank you so much for listening. We're so delighted you joined us. And if you got any value out of this at all, or even if you just simply had a little chuckle, please do share it with anyone you think it may benefit. And please, if you do leave a review, oh my gosh, we would be forever in your debt. The algorithms on podcasts are pretty tough and reviews do make all the difference. So please do head over onto your platform and leave us one. And also, if you need to know anything about our latest training or you just want to get in touch, head over to our website, which is www.socialinsightmarketing.co.uk forward slash bootcamp.